take on Young Nostalgia, the before and after are completely different. Does that work? <laughs> Let's take a look. Hello and welcome to another week of Young Nostalgia. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Nolan. As always, Ben is beside me and we're kicking off another then and now. It's been a hot minute since we have. I apologize for the week off, but uh, we've gotten our poop, pooper scooper and we put our poop in a, in a bunch and we're ready to get back at it with a brand new then and now volume 12 about Jeffrey Allen Skunk Baxter per se, I guess. I uh, This is a completely cold episode. I haven't looked at anything. Ben was the master yesterday texting me saying, hey, I'm getting this together for us. So, Ben, how you doing today, big guy? Doing good. It's going to be a great show if I do say so myself. Absolutely. I was sweating in the car getting <laughs> off work. I was like, I hope this time's out. We're going to get this right. Oh, my God. <laughs> but this is the yeah. most uh amateurish of amateur uh podcast episodes we've ever put out so i feel like that's where we're really in our in our prime <laughs> i don't know i think that might be a bold statement we put out some <laughs> some sketchy episodes in the past so okay well next week is going to be absolutely amazing we're going to have a special guest and we're going to celebrate our 100th ever episode regular regularly numbered episode i guess so at this point we're going to be over 100 episodes total but we're gonna <laughs> have gonna, a fun i was day. gonna say it's kind of like a soft 100 right soft soft 100 yeah <laughs> we i don't even think we acknowledged when we actually hit 100 episodes total we weren't even no. thinking about it it was just the number no. Yeah, it kind of worked out weird how we started numbering our shows i mean like we started doing it then we thought oh we'll like do a series of little mini series and stuff and then we ended up just doing one right so now we've got <laughs> two like one kind of straggling along little series in addition right. to our regular episodes right we've talked about mini series but those mini series are within the regular episode number anyway so right right yeah we kind of screwed all that up yeah good thing we're not in charge of nbc's episode numbering all right let's get into <laughs> then and now volume 12 all about jeffrey allen skunk baxter so the cool thing is we're actually going to do a uh, mini series of then and nows focusing on famous people that have changed their career quite vigorously i guess is a good way to put it where they started out in one thing got big and then immediately just kind of flipped and now they're doing something else so that's the plan is to focus on so this first one jeffrey allen skunk baxter is who we're focusing on this week let's get into it what do you think i love it let's do it i knew you're gonna say it i knew you're gonna say it. let's do it that's like coined <laughs> <laughs> Cold Jeffrey Allen Skunk Baxter, born December 13th, 1948. What an amazing year, you know? That was just the year of all years. American guitarist known for his stints in the rock band Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers during the 1970s and Spirit in the 1980s. In later years, he has worked as a defense consultant and chaired a congressional advisory board on missile defense. From power cords to missile defense. Um... The Life of Jeffrey Allen Skunk Baxter, a memoir. Wow, that is... What a book. That's the show description right there. That's <laughs> that word for thing. word. That's what I'm putting in. That, that was beautiful. Thing. From <laughs> power cords to missile defense. I love it. Go. Okay, cool. Can we cool. make t-shirts with that? There's so <laughs> many t-shirt ideas. If we get big enough, I'd want a merch store of just the useless nonsense we, we talk about. 
<laughs> from power cords to missiles. Missile defense. <laughs> no, that's really funny. I like that. That's cool. I like it. I I also have we, like how we also revealed that we had no idea what the episode like title would be until we started recording. <laughs> well, now they know our tricks. Not entirely the case because there is no episode title on then and now. It's just the volume number. That's true. So this one's going to be different because it is kind of a miniseries. So it'll be then and now volume 12 miniseries. So within volume 12, we'll have multiple different episodes that constitute volume 12. Part one. Hey, man, we only got so many characters to use in the title. (laughs) All right, big guy. Take us into the early life of Skunk Baxter. All right. So just a, a brief overview of Jeff Baxter's early life. Uh, he was born in Washington, D.C., like we said, in on December 13th, 1948. Um, graduated from Taft High School in 1967 in Watertown, Connecticut, um, where he was, uh, he, he self-described himself as a preppy, uh, <laughs> which definitely doesn't really line up with his future careers, I guess, either of them. Um while at Taft, he played drums in an upperclassman band, uh, King Thunder and the Lightning Bolts. And even though this wasn't his first, this wasn't his first interest in music. This was his first, uh, I guess, pursuit of any sort of music career. Um, so moving on a little bit, he later enrolled at the School of Public Communication, which is now. Uh, the College of Communication at Boston University in September of 1967, uh, where he actually studied journalism while continuing to perform uh, with a n- number of local bands. Uh, I think he was a, a a permanent member in several different bands, but he also was just kind of picking up gigs here and there as people needed people like players to fill in. Right. Um, so he got a lot of experience just from kind of jumping around between different bands in starting in 1967. That's interesting. And I like how they specifically laid out upperclassmen band. Like he was just some plebe. And uh, I, I wish, I wish we could have coined some really cool band names back in the day. King thunder and the lightning bolts. I mean, that's pretty cool. I feel like anyone who's trying to start a band nowadays has, it's kind of a bummer because I feel like all the good band names are taken. They're taken. <laughs> well, it's because there is a literally you think of anything, anything yeah. cool, and it's been you you Google search it, it's been taken. Right, right. King, oh here we go. King Thumbtacks and the Pushpins. Oh my god! <laughs> Don't even start. <laughs> Whoop! Got him. Uh, you want me to keep going, or you want to take us into the uh, early music career? Uh, sure, I'll take us into the early music career. Uh, and then are you going to pick up with Steely Dan then? Is that a good way of to... Of course I will. All right, cool. Yeah, just just sit back there and, and sit down and shut up. Music career. Just know my, know my place. <laughs> no. <laughs> Underclassman. Uh, in, in music career. In 1966, while still in high school, he began at Manny's Music Shop. At Manny's, Baxter met guitarist Jimi Hendrix, who was just beginning his career as a front man. So apparently Connecticut is the place to be. Um, for a short period during that year, Baxter was the bassist. Actually, uh, uh, sorry. I, 
Yes, Connecticut was the place to be. I forgot to note in here, Manny's Music Shop was actually in Manhattan. Oh, it was in Manhattan. Okay. Yes. Well, th- that makes Which more sense. An even better place to be at exactly, this time. Exactly. <laughs> Especially in just a prime time for just music in general. The ninth, early, mid-1960s. I mean, what a time, right. dude. That's freaking nuts. Okay, so he met Jimi Hendrix there at Manny's in Manhattan. For a short period during that year, Baxter was the bassist in a Hendrix-led band called Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. What the hell? It's a freaking rockin' name, along with fellow Manny's employee, Randy California. And then, look, they have freaking kick-ass, just like regular names, too. And here we are, Nolan, Ben, we're lame. <laughs> like, yeah, how do you just get a name like Randy California? That's awesome. Here we go, Nolan and Ben and the French Hens. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Nolan, Ben, and the French Hens. And the Flamin' oh. Hen. The flaming hen. So we the come on. The flaming hen. Yeah, we come on. We come onto the stage and we have a flaming fake rubber chicken. Well, if we want to get, I mean, we could just go full Aussie and have flaming real chickens, <laughs> and then bite their heads off <laughs> while they're on fire. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Flame oh broiled. God. Right. Oh God. That's our second name if the first one doesn't pan out. Uh, (laughs) Moving to Boston to attend college, Baxter worked as a guitar technician and amplifier repairman at Jack's Drum Shop on Boylston Street in Boston, as far as I know. Uh, Baxter first reached a wide rock audience in 1968 as a member of the psychedelic rock band Ultimate Spinach. I'm, I'm over it. I just don't know what to say anymore. Baxter joined the band for Ultimate Spinach 3, their third and final album. After leaving the band, he played with the Holy Modal uh, Rounders and all-backed singer Buzzy Linhart. By this time, he was using the moniker Skunk, although the nickname's origins have been kept secret by Baxter himself. Like I can only assume that he just smells really bad. I know. Skunk, yeah. God, every time he just gets off the stage, he just reeks. But if anybody has any albums out there of the ultimate spinach, please give us an email of a picture. We'd love to see it. Youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. Yeah, I'm I am. sure they're out there. Yeah, I mean, it talks about like Jimi Hendrix's early career. I mean, yeah, I don't know anything really about Jimmy James and the Blue Flames, but everyone knows Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Um, but this ultimate spinach, that is, I have never even heard of this um before now so i would be really interested to do some research and if anybody's got any information on that that we'd be happy to take a look at it oh it'd be so freaking cool all right so that leads us into his career with steely dan so still here in the beginning we see definitely like music roots uh everything from just being around musics uh manny's and then uh obviously in college he worked with um some fellow peers in a band as well as just working on guitars new hendrix i mean come on he just has a great like basic foundation to starting a music career so here he goes into steely dan yeah, you know, before I get into Celia Dan, but it, it just seems like, you know, obviously he's a rather accomplished player. I mean, he, he's no slouch, and to be playing with this many people and relatively big people, I mean, Jimi Hendrix, he was saying he's just starting his career as a frontman, so he was already a fairly well-known name. Right. Um, You know, it just seems like like Baxter is has has been, you know, at the right place at the right time on multiple occasions. Right. And that's how all of these people, we say it multiple times, but gosh, 
I'm sure I ain't finding nothing in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, that's funny. Um, so moving on to the Steely Dan portion of his career. Uh, so after the breakup of Ultimate Spinach, Baxter uh, ended up relocating to Los Angeles, finding work as a session guitarist. Um, in 1972, he actually became a founding member of Steely Dan, along with guitarist Danny Diaz, guitarist, bassist Walter Becker, keyboardist, vocalist Donald Fagan, drummer Jim Hodder, and vocalist David Palmer. Uh, Baxter appeared with Steely Dan's on their first three albums, Can't Buy a Thrill in 1972, Countdown to Ecstasy in 1973, and Pretzel Logic in 1974. Mm, pretzel Logic. <laughs> I do like I, I do like Pretzel Logic. Um, I do too. He co- he contributed to guitar fills and the signature solo heard on the group's highest charting hit, "Ricky Don't Lose That Number." Um, oh no way! That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's he was kind of the the brainchild behind the entire guitar part behind wow. that song. Um, that's really cool. It is. I mean, this guy. It's it's just crazy that we've never really known this guy's name before right you never um, think of just like oh yeah remember skunk i mean come on yeah i just it seems like all the, and we haven't even gotten through half of his music career here i mean this is really just the very beginning still mm-hmm. and already it's like how how on earth do we not know this guy right that's crazy i love it you want to take us into the doobie brothers all right the doobie brothers one of my personal favorites i love the doobie brothers i think they've got a really good sound um so while he finished work on Pretzel Logic with Steely Dan, Baxter became aware of Becker and Fagan's intentions to retire Steely Dan from touring and work almost exclusively with session players, which I'm guessing is just kind of like you schedule something, you go into the studio, you record a few things, and then you call it quits. And then when you get another intuition to make creative things, you go back into the studio and then you just do what you got to do. Yeah, it's pre- that's pretty much exactly what it is. It's the, you do pretty much renounce your public presence and strictly focus on uh, studio albums. Right, kind of like what the Beatles did towards the end of their tenure. Um, right. So with that in mind, Baxter left the band in 1974 to join the Doobie Brothers, who at the time were touring in support of their fourth album, What Were Once Vices Are Now Habits. So it appears at this time, Doobie Brothers were pretty much a solid name, and then they picked him up. They picked Baxter up. Um with vocalist Tom Johnston hospitalized for stomach ailments, uh, Michael McDonald was brought in for the tour in support of Stampede. McDonald was later um, invited to join the band full-time. Uh, McDonald's vocal and songwriting contributions, as well as Baxter's jazzier guitar style, marked a new direction for the band itself. Um, interesting. I can kind of see how this kind of made it to their uh, well-known sound of the Doobie Brothers mm-hmm. with Baxter's inclusion. So um, they went on to continue their success with the 1976 album, Ta- uh, Taking It to the Streets. Okay, just, I mean, just... Just imagining that song, I mean, that's a that must be a different vibe from the band itself, because like taking it to the streets, like that's just kind of like, I don't know, I I could see the jazz and kind of bluesy undertones of that. Um, in 1977's Living on the Fault Line, and particularly 1978's Minute by Minute, which spent five weeks at the number one album in the U.S. and spawned several hit singles. Baxter's work on the album includes a performance at the end of How Do the Fools Survive. So that was a yeah, lot I mean, to digest. When I was, 
when I was going through a lot of the, the, the research here, I kept seeing so much information and there were so many comments made about McDonald. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's a, a notable event in the Doobie, Doobie brothers history that, you know, John McDonald, uh, entered, uh, Michael McDonald. Sorry. I don't know where I got John from. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's a notable event in the Doobie Brothers history. I'm like, I don't know if, if it really should, you know, make uh, that big of a difference on, you know, the Bagster part of everything. And then I was reading more and more and more. Um, and I saw that when, uh, when, as soon as Bagster and McDonald got together, that's where the Doobie Brothers really took off. That's where all of their hits started uh, shooting right to the top. Um, and it was just like you talked about, it was that change in, it was that change in style that really kind of set them apart from everybody else. And that's mm-hmm. what, uh, made them so successful. Right. I'm trying to think of like some other bands that kind of had that, uh, incredible or quick change of style in between albums that kind of the new style is what kind of rocketed them to the top. But I'm trying to remember, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure Huey Lewis and I kind of had that style all along. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you think about the Beatles, they were called like the journeymen and all that. And they could just kind of had like leather jackets, dive bars performing. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure they had like more of a heavier hand in their music rather than when they started becoming big, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, Led Zeppelin started out as the Yardbirds um, before moving, uh, before they moving towards Led Zeppelin. That's when they ultimately moved to the United States as well. And I think their their style changed. Uh, quite a bit too. I mean, that was their style changed after the fact. They moved from more like folk song kind of stuff to more of the psychedelic type type songs too. And that, I mean, everybody right. in the you know late '60s, especially, was you know they that was kind of the style. Is you had that kind of bebop rock, kind of early rock sound or folk sound, and then they, everyone just started going to like a psychedelic rock kind of uh, kind of feel. Right. Right. Um, all right, man. So, so did you want to take us into kind of the ending of, of his part with Doobie Brothers? Yeah, I'll take us through the music career and then you can pick up on his second career. Um, so even after uh, 1979, when Baxter and co-founding drummer John Hartman left the band, uh, Baxter continued working as a session guitarist for an extremely diverse group of artists. Um, these being Willie DeVille, Brian Adams, Hoyt Axton, Eric Clapton, Gene Clark, Cheryl Crow, Freddie Hubbard, Tim Weisberg, Joni Mitchell, Ricky Nelson, Dolly Parton, Carly Simon, Ringo Starr, Gene Simmons, Rod Stewart, Burton Cummings, Barbara Streisand, and Donna Summer. And that is like a tip of the iceberg if we're looking at a full list. Um, and so in addition... It is. It's insane. This guy worked with literally everybody. Right. Can, can you um, imagine just being in that position, though? And you just like, all of a sudden, you just get a call and like, hey, Rod Stewart here, do you mind? I just need some, I, I need some of your, your guitarist uh, skills. 
can I just meet you in, in Hollywood in a week? Oh, yeah, sure, man. That, I'll be there. That's what it seems like. This was the absolute go-to guy right. when you needed a session guitarist. I, and I wonder how it all kind of worked. Like, I wonder if he had, like, his own kind of studio or, like, home studio. So when an artist needed somebody, like, let's say Baxter all of a sudden, um, they'll be like, contact the home studio. Baxter picks up. Oh, yeah, man, I'm free, th- I'm free this Saturday or whatever. So then they go to that, like, his home base studio, and then they just jam it out for a day or two and get what they need yeah I mean, it, it's hard to say because someone this good would definitely have that kind of pull mm-hmm. but also it seems like this guy i mean one of the reasons he left uh steely dan was because he obviously he liked touring and having a public presence so maybe you know with his background of not being afraid to move around and go wherever he's needed he might have just been all over the place and right. wherever a band was he went there and recorded a album that's crazy i love it that's cool so all those names i just listed for session guitarist um but he also was a touring musician musician for <laughs> people like elton john linda ronstadt uh billy vera and the beaters um there was a ton of other people uh as well a little bit lesser known names um that he also went on tour with just as a backup you know uh, when they needed a musician they called on him to you know, come to the tour. It's it's interesting because like we did just talk about how he left Steely Dan because he did like the tour part. But look, he's got both of both like best of both worlds at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, hey man, I'm free to whatever. If you people are up for a chill time, I'll be on the bus with you, or I'll see you in the studio. That's, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, that's exactly what this guy seems to be. Is like he was when it, it was like a when in doubt, call Jeff Baxter. Right. 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 He will he will he will bail you out of whatever you need bailed out of. Like he, <laughs> right. he's he's down to he's down to play whatever. Right. Um so Baxter, I mean this is the then and now and this one's a little bit screwed up because there's quite a bit of overlap between the then and the now. But Baxter actually continues to do studio work uh, most recently on tribute albums uh for people like Pink Floyd and Aerosmith. So even now when people are trying to do tribute tours and albums to artists that he probably had already played with before, he's now also playing on tribute albums to those artists. Right. Oh my <laughs> god. Well, like so so obviously he has like expertise on the artists themselves, you know? Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, someone with this much experience, what better person would there be to bring in as a as a studio artist on tribute albums? Right. Right. Oh no, no, no. St- Steven Tyler did it this way. Like, no. Yeah. Like, no, no, you are doing this way wrong. Right. Listen up. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So moving forward a little bit, we're kind of moving, kind of taking a quite a big jump. So in 2012, he appeared on keyboardist Brian Auger's Language of the Heart and the Beach Boys. That's why God made the radio. Um, He also now this is this is fantastic. This is what I was telling you about. Uh, the other day. Okay. So he also occasionally plays with a band called the Coalition of the Willing, uh, which is a band comprising of Andres Sumani, Hungarian ambassador to the United States, uh. Alexander Verschbau, U.S. ambassador <laughs> to South Korea, Daniel B. Ponman, formerly of the United States National Security Council and the later Obama administration's de- deputy secretary of energy. Uh, and Lincoln Bloomfield, former United States Assistant Secretary to the State for Political Military Affairs. 
Oh my God. See, I saw Obama so, and for some reason I thought you were just going to say, oh yeah, he just like plays drums with Obama every now and then. Or guitar, you know, like <laughs> they just pick it up and they just jam out and like the presidential suite. Like, okay, I no, get it. Well, it's even, I'm, it's even better than that. This guy is straight up just in a band with other like top tier political officials and they right. just get together and jam and do like small gigs and stuff. <laughs> Right. Oh, I love it. That cracks me up. It kind of adds a little bit of the, like, you know, humanity to these public officials, which is kind of cool. But also, I just never knew that the United States Assistant Secretary of State for Political Military Affairs even existed. So that's... that's, that's oh, yeah. I was not even aware of several of those those uh, chairs. Um, I mean, let's be oh honest. They're probably pretty redundant and not super necessary, but uh, that's fantastic nonetheless. Right. Gotta love bureaucracy. So... One, (laughs) (laughs) me too. It's great. Um, So the very last point going along with this, uh, before we jump into uh, his other very unrelated career. So on June 19th, 2007, Baxter actually jammed with former White House press secretary, Tony Snow's band beats working at the congressional picnic held on the White House South Lawn. Beautiful. (laughs) This guy is, like I said, how on earth do we not know this guy's name? And I'm sure there's a bunch of like music aficionados out there mm-hmm. who are like, well, look at these idiots. Yeah, they right. don't know who Jeff Baxter is. <laughs> yeah. Skunk Baxter. You know, I'm, yeah, okay. I'm sure that in the hardcore music history, people all know this guy's name. But right. for like, I would consider ourselves like a cross between just regular people and like normal regular enthusiasts you know so mm-hmm. we're not like hardcore into it but even then i i still feel like this guy's name should be all over the place right we're, we're at that point where it's like we're into it once we know about it so we have to find out about it first and then we look into it <laughs> and then we're like oh yeah this is really cool yeah there you go there you go <laughs> <laughs> and that's what young nostalgia is all about okay so grinding <laughs> into the later half of the episode talking about his now, uh, def- so his defense consulting career, get this. I mean, like he was also obviously surrounded by some pretty top people, but now he's actually working in top level government. Baxter began his second career nearly by accident. In the mid 1980s, his interest in music recording technology led him to wonder about hardware and software originally developed for military use, specifically data compression algorithms and large capacity storage devices, which is crazy because a lot of times huge technology advancements come from like, you know, science in the in, in the government form, whether it be like NASA or the military, and then that either gets dumbed down or slimmed down or refined to a version to to use on like a civilian level. So mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Um, his next door neighbor was actually a retired engineer who had worked on the Sidewinder missile program. You know, no big deal. Uh, this neighbor... Yeah, just, he just happened to be <laughs> oh, right. you know, involved in that. Right. Oh, hey, Chuck, how come you have a model life-size missile in your backyard? Oh, no, it's just like... It's okay. It's let, a, it's a let prototype. Let me tell you a story. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a prototype. And what a conversation <laughs> piece. Um, so, so this neighbor bought Baxter a subscription to Aviation Week magazine, provoking his interest in additional military-oriented publications and missile defense systems in particular. I get attracted to missiles as well. He became self-taught in this area <laughs> and at one point wrote a five-page paper that uh, proposed converting the ship-based anti-aircraft um, 
Aegis. 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 Cool. I almost got it. Uh, the Aegis missile into a rudimentary missile defense system. He gave the paper to California Republican Congressman Dana um, Robacher. Robacher. Rohrbacher. Rohrbacher. I'm really bad with my R's, and his career as a defense consultant began. So he pretty much wrote a paper on being self-taught on missile defense systems and converting old machines or old missiles to be more of like a defense auto-targeting kind of system. Yes. So not only is this guy like a musical genius, but he's also like... A rocket scientist. Oh, I love and it. Pro- well, it's more the programming side of things, but well, still. Well, didn't um, Brian May or whatever from Queen, didn't he get like an astronomy degree or something? He is. Yeah, He's Brian like an May is also an astrophysicist. Right. Yes. That's what I thought. So I think that's the next topic for our then and now. Miniseries. <laughs> then and now, yeah. 12, probably 12 miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, no, Brian really, May would be a good one. I completely forgot about that. Right. That's really, really cool. Yeah, I, I like Brian May too, but this is just nuts. He just wrote his paper by himself, sent it in, and here we go. Um, okay, so backed by several influential Capitol Hill lawmakers, Baxter received a series of security clearances so he could work with classified information. Back in 1995, Pennsylvania Republican Congressman Kurt Weldon, then the chairman of the House Military Research and Development Subcommittee, subcommittee, not even just a committee, it's just a subcommittee, and they nominated Baxter to chair the Civilian Advisory Board for Ballistic Missile Defense. This is nuts. I'm over all of this hoopla of agency naming. Jeff (laughs) Jeff Baxter is one bad... awesome human being not bad but you know badass is like awesome bad i know his just it just continues to go on every time i think like like wow that is impressive then you read something else and it's like oh my goodness and i really hope that they purposely made the civilian advisory board for ballistic missile defense with only one member and that's jeff baxter (laughs) (laughs) like what in the hell um, it probably is because they probably everyone else is probably a government official and he was the only one that was right. a civilian. So they probably did have to make it right so that he could be involved. Right. It's like it has to be this way or else it just doesn't fit. Um, why couldn't they just like have him in the room? Why do they have to give him like that kind of thing? Anyway, uh, he, he has his own letterhead. So when he sends out official like correspondence to people in the other committees. <laughs> you think it says skunk at the top? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Skunk. <laughs> <laughs> skunk chairman uh, okay baxter's work with the with that panel led to consulting contracts with the pentagon's missile defense agency and national geospatial intelligence agent agency oh my uh he consults for the u.s department of defense and the u.s intelligence committee as well as defense oriented manufacturers and so i'm guessing this is still uh, is this still current day? Like, is he still consulting with the U.S. Department of Defense? Um, current day, I don't believe he holds any official titles anymore, but I think he is still open to advisory. Okay, advisory for correspondence. Yeah, and I believe he still holds his uh, his uh, security clearances. Okay, that's 
freaking cool. Uh, he has yes, said, it is. He has said that um, his unconventional approach to thinking about terrorism tied his interest to technology is a major reason the government actually sought his assistance. Here's a quote from Baxter himself. Oh, I'm so... No, it, yeah, it is Baxter himself. Okay. It is Baxter, yeah. Okay. Quote, we thought turntables for playing records until... We thought turntables were for playing records until rappers began to use them as instruments, and we thought airplanes were carrying passengers until terrorists realized they could be used as missiles, Baxter said. Continued, quote, My big thing is to look at existing technologies and try to see other ways they can be used, which happens in music all the time and happens to be what terrorists are incredibly good at. Which is interesting that he even brings up that, that tie to music. I mean... If we look at biopics, right, we look at the Bohemian Rhapsody biopic, when they paid all of their allowance to get into a studio for three hours, and you see them messing around with coins on a drum, you know what I mean? And they're recording that, just like unconventional means of making sounds to fit into what the creative content that they want to create for music, that's crazy. And the fact that he's kind of bringing that mindset into, uh, you know, real life world threats, that's something incredible. Yeah, well, I'd like to tie that back a little bit um, to his earlier, his the basic interest in, for him in technology in the first place, you know, was coming from data compression algorithm algorithms in large capacity storage devices, which were technologies that weren't necessarily designed for what he was trying to use them for. Right. And he was trying to repurpose them. But we can take that back even further to his initial early on experience with Jimi Hendrix, who is universally known for being a huge pioneer in, in, I don't know what this, how to say it. It's musical sounds. I mean, he was the first person to do a lot of things with a guitar. Um, and that was kind of what he was known for. You know, I think, you know, I might catch some, catch some crap for it saying that, you know, I don't think, on pure musical talent, I don't think Jimi Hendrix, you know, he's not like the greatest guitar player who ever lived by any means. But where his merit is earned in, he was the first person to do a lot of things. Like he kind of created a whole new sound, mm-hmm. uh, did a lot of things that everyone else had never even thought of doing with a guitar. Um, and I'd like to think that that probably played a big role in uh Baxter's life because he was still relatively young relatively you know he was first starting out in his musical career um, and I'd like to think that that made probably a pretty big impact on his later life and how his and kind of seeded his interest in doing things with uh, technology that it wasn't necessarily initially designed for right right and it's interesting too just because of him being so close to Hendrix in the beginning you always see with you know whether it be uh, journalism about the field or movies that kind of depict it but even just like reading interviews and all that you know that the music industry itself is not keen on rapid crazy weird change but it's the people that just think outside of the box and just bring something completely absurd unheard of to the music industry that become the next big thing so Mm -hmm. imagine just how like Baxter might have connected with Hendrix that the in a way that the music community might not have. So Baxter was like, okay, I get this. I am on his level and I'm going to take these skills I've learned and make them my own. And then here we are. Now he's consulting with missile defense for the United States military. <laughs> exactly. So. I mean, that's such a crazy jump in careers. Um, you know, it's, we've, 
We've talked about other people who have made huge career changes, and I don't think any of them really compare to this. I know, not at all. Um, okay, so finishing up the last couple of points here, Baxter has also appeared in public debates as a CN, as a guest on CNN and Fox News uh, advocating for missile defense. Back in 2000, Baxter considered a challenging representative, considered challenging Representative Brad Sherman from the 24th Congressional District seat in California before deciding not to run because the district, which is where he lives, is Democratic and Baxter would have lost by a landslide. Um, in April 2005, he joined the NASA Exploration Systems Advisory Committee. So he's just kind of had his hand in a whole bunch of definitely like science-oriented um, fields when it comes to like government advisement and, and all that. So it's crazy. Oh, Good, definitely. Cool I mean, stuff. it's it, in 2000. I mean, it's we talked about 2012 a little bit before. Um, you know, he's obviously. It seems nowadays he's more active in musical appearances um and especially in later years it seems like he does try to keep a little bit lower of a profile than he has in in past years both in music and (laughs) missile defense right um but he it definitely seems like he is not opposed to uh moving back into both of those careers if he needs to or feels like it uh seems like he's He's always kind of popping up some maybe someplace small for music. And it's like I said, I think he is still open to advisory type work as far as uh, military and specifically missile defense Mm -hmm. goes crazy. Maybe we can find his number somewhere. Look, man, I'm looking to put up a private uh, air defense system along like around my apartment. What would it take? Yeah, I mean, he's the guy to call. Right. And, you know, if you, you know, you want a jam session afterwards, too, then that's cool as well. Right. Right. Hey, man, I got one of your records. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, God, this guy is, I, you know, when I was doing, doing a lot of the show prep, my initial thought process was, you know, a lot of these people that have dual careers, there isn't a ton of information. So maybe I'll pick two people, two or three people. And the deeper I got into Jeff Baxter, it wasn't very long before I realized, like, no, we have to dedicate an entire episode to this guy because mm-hmm. his he is just amazing. Right, he's an amazing individual, and I and I love that you were able to find him and and made this up. This was perfect. What a good episode! I'm a fan. What do you think? Should we round her out? Let's wrap it up. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Uh, should I play the transition again? Thank you so much for joining us here on Young <laughs> Nostalgia, a first of a miniseries for then and now volume 12, looking at um, prominent people throughout pop culture that have had a major career change from when they first got their skills and then uh, to where they are now. So uh, this was Jeff Skunk Baxter with uh, early life in career of music ending up being an advisory for missile defense for the United States government. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can always find us out there, Young Nostalgia, on your favorite podcasting apps, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave a kind review. Take about 13 seconds. Tell us what you like. And if you have a a future show, what topic that you'd like us to talk about, or you want to be a guest on the show, give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. Anything else, big guy? No, I think that was that was super fun. Um, and I I kind of have an unrealized interest in celebrities, musicians, whatever that have that kind of lead a dual life. Mm-hmm. Um, I found this guy super interesting and now I'm I'm really interested to do more about this because I think, 
you know, guys who have, or not guys necessarily, people in general who are super good at one thing, whether it be uh, musical talents, acting, uh, whatever, um, and also have, you know, they might be not even necessarily college educated. Self-taught is even better. You know, if they're, Mm -hmm. they have some other career that maybe is in the sciences or something like that. Um, I, I really enjoy that. So, right. Anyone that the audience knows about that uh, we haven't necessarily mentioned that would make a good show topic uh, would be greatly appreciated because I think it'd be fun to do more of these in the future. Absolutely. That's a good idea. Yeah. Send your send us your suggestions of people that you have on your mind. Youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. I think that pretty much does it here for us. At first, I thought you said you had an unreal new interest in missile defense systems. And I was like, Ben, dude. I love well, that too. <laughs> As we always say here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ice cream full. We'll talk to you next week.